this is Jason, and welcome to Stand By for Paradise. I don't know when I lost my glasses. I know the notice of their departure worked its way to the front of my brain as we taxied away from the airport in San Francisco. We are not in your bag anymore, my glasses announced, from wherever in the universe they now lived. That little part of me that always hopes foolishly jabbed at me like a rock in my shoe during the entire agonizing takeoff and climb. I knew in my soul my glasses were not in my bag, but when the seatbelt sign was turned off, I sprang out of my seat and checked anyway. My glasses were not in my bag. Later in the flight, when it was time to sleep, I tried to doze off with my contacts in, only to wake up shortly after feeling like someone had painted my eyeballs with peanut butter. There was nothing for it. I gave up and took my contacts out, wavering and bumping my head against the ceiling in the tiny airplane bathroom. As I walked blindly back to my seat, I thought about the time I kicked a giant Samoan man in the head on a flight to Auckland. He had fallen asleep and slumped into the aisle with his head protruding dangerously at knee level. It was quite dark in the endless trans-Pacific night, but we were flying smoothly, so I was striding confidently back from the bathroom until I strode right into his head. He made a noise and I scuttled the rest of the way to my row. I was certain there would be an incident, but there wasn't. Maybe this sort of thing was commonplace for him. Airline seat designers clearly didn't have him in mind when they laid out a Boeing 777. This flight, however, was taking me to Italy without my glasses. I was also eventually going to be home without my glasses as well, since there was little hope of my old frames being recovered from wherever they might have gone. I began wondering how plausible it would be to find new glasses while abroad. Stupefied with jet lag after my flights and a full day of trains down from Switzerland, I finally stood at the door of my tiny rented apartment in a tinier town on the coast of Italy. By now, it was nearly midnight and the village was deserted. As I fumbled with my keys, I turned to my right and stood blinking in the blinding light of a needlessly bright sign that lit up the otherwise dark cobblestone street. My brain tried to work out why a voice inside my head said this sign was important. Finally, it clicked. The sign was for an eyeglasses store. Improbably, in this tiny vacation town, mostly frequented by older Italians and Germans, which I had picked nearly sight unseen from a couple scant recommendations on the internet, there was an eyeglasses boutique mere steps away from my apartment. The next day, with my prescription in hand, I headed up the street to replace my wandering pair of eyeglasses. Maybe things were looking up after all. What I didn't know as I climbed the hill past the bodega was I would now be assisted in picking out new eyewear by Italians. Generally, I dress in ways to be noticed less, and for my entire life, I have worn eyeglasses not to be noticed at all. Getting glasses at the age of six left me with a latent embarrassment about them. The staff was made up of two women in the latter half of life, one was dressed and tanned and bespectacled in a way that suggested a lingering air of youth and may have been from the north of Italy or even Germany. Her counterpart was none of these things. The tall one spoke English well, and the short one, 
who seemed to own the place, spoke none at all. Her lack of English did not dissuade her from speaking Italian at length to me, with or without the benefit of translation from her taller partner. There was also a young man in his 20s who was responsible for operating the iPad when it came to the fittings and for making espresso for serious clients. Only when I was handed an espresso did I begin to suspect I had inadvertently become a serious client. Italians, it turns out, are not fond of telling you nice things they don't feel deeply in their souls. They may look impassively at you for a second, as though they are trying to find a nice way of informing you of the mistake you have just put on your face. But this moment passes quickly, and then the hand-waving and denouncing starts. Crazy frames pass through my hands at a rapid pace. Round, square, sharp, brightly colored, all sorts, all similarly wild-looking. After several sets of frames that would have been laughable on anyone back in Colorado, regardless of gender, I was handed a pair of dark, thick, black frames. Conceptually, I wasn't opposed, but the lenses were smaller and it felt like looking through little portholes. They were vaguely traditional, but all the lines and curves were somehow different. I turned to look at my waiting panel of judges. The effect was immediate. All present responded with that visceral, full-bodied noise and gesture that Americans seem not to have as a species. Age or gender did not seem to matter. They all reacted with the same guttural approval, a broad smile and throwing back of the head that said, This is a thing that must be. I was not sure it must be. Several more frames were tried on, but the old woman kept putting the black frames in my free hand. She would then motion for me to look at her, point at whatever frames I was wearing, and say in stern monosyllabic English, One. She would squint at me, and then motion that I should put back on the black frames. She never said two. As soon as I put the black frames on, she would make a puffing sound, throw back her head, and wave her hands as if to say, I don't know why we are bothering. The answer is obvious. You can trust her. She's been doing this her whole life, the tall woman said, motioning to the old woman in the blue frames, who made no attempt to speak any further English. Only later did it occur to me that the this the old woman had been practicing for years might have been keeping the doors open by selling the most expensive pair of glasses on offer to anyone who wandered by. I had not been shown any prices on the frames and had only stolen a peek at the tags on the little security devices as they were taken off the temples. That should have been a clue for me. The ladies had done their work. I was starting to think I could possibly wear these new, bolder frames without feeling silly. They would certainly get me noticed, but so far I had only proved that they made me popular with older Italian women and young men passionate about eyewear, neither of which were my target market for dinner dates. In any case, I was in Italy for now. Price was not to be thought of where style was concerned. Back in my relatively pragmatic American existence, there were budgets to be considered. Here, though, one could make it hungrily through the day on a single pastry and espresso, having been too poor to buy lunch. It didn't matter, as long as you looked good looking out over the changing hues of the Tyrrhenian Sea. I would have some time in Italy to try these new glasses out. Here, my new frames would not look out of place. They turned out to be camouflage, helping me pass for something other than a blatant American as long as I sat very still and didn't talk at all. After Italy, I would be in Belgrade for a while, where I might now appear a little more European, and no one would give me a second look. 
Not that I would be able to tell whether or not they were looking, thanks to the small lenses and thick rims of my new bolder frames. After testing out the glasses in Belgrade, though, I would have to return to America. There, I would wear contacts. This is Standby for Paradise, a little podcast written, produced, and recorded by me, Jason Fleming. Find out more at StandbyForParadise.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.